Welcome to The Owl Hoot, a podcast for the environmentally curious, with me, Caroline Norbury. On each episode, I chat with a guest who contributes in some way to protecting the planet on matters of climate change, sustainability, biodiversity and pollution. Here is a place where you can gain new knowledge and be inspired. Enjoy listening. On the podcast today, I welcome two members of the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust team, George Jones and Aidy Cox. George is a Wilder Communities Officer and has previously worked for the National Trust. Aidy is a Nature Recovery Advisor, following roles as an ecologist with two consultancies. He also volunteers with the Derbyshire Bat Group. Together they are involved in the Derwent Connections Project, aiming to improve woodland habitat connectivity and reduce flood risk with the help of community engagement. So without further ado, let's find out more about them and the project. Welcome, George and Aidy. So I always start to get to know my, my guests on the podcast. So if we could start, maybe Aidy, you first. Tell me a bit about what led you to work in the environmental sector and to this particular role within the, the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust. So when I was at university, I studied ecology and zoology my actual degree was biological sciences but we could kind of pick the bits that interested us and they were just the bits that I was generally drawn to and then when I graduated I was trying to find work that was relevant to the degree I'd done and that led me to working as a consultant ecologist so mostly working in the private sector advising on a lot of planning applications and things like that with respect to protected species legislation and helping and making sure the developers had what they needed to meet their environmental obligations with respect to ecology and habitats and things like that. So I worked there for about five or six years in that sector and then was just looking for a bit of a career change and had always liked the idea of working in conservation. So that's how I, and then I applied for and got a job at the Dalwich Wildlife Trust. Excellent. Uh, George, is it a similar story for you or something a little bit different? Um, I suppose it's a little bit different for me because I, I didn't originally start out for a career in conservation I originally started out on sort of like a an adventure activity pathway so mountain leading climbing that sort of stuff so I started at university I studied outdoor adventure leadership and management so not particularly focused on conservation or the environment as such but stuff you do within the wild environment Um, but in my last year I, I became more interested and focused on sort of forest schools bushcraft and all that sort of stuff and how benefits of that can of people participating in that can in the outdoors and the environment can really benefit them and then obviously always been interested in in outdoors and nature and, and woodland and and, all, and and the environment as a whole but I never really saw myself in that as a job uh, but then when after leaving uni got a job for the National Trust and then sort of started to focus more on that conservation side and and educating people around it and things like that. So it's more my, my role in, in conservation is more educating people on how they can become involved and, and working with community groups, which sort of developed from the forest school stuff and, and, and bringing people in for wellbeing programs and things like that. So I sort of stumbled on to, into it that way rather than set out on sort of like an ecology degree and things like that. So I sort of came in it in a roundabout way. <laughs> it's always fascinating to hear people's paths 
through their career because sometimes it can be just happenstance can't it and just being in the right place or things just happening in a sort of occurring as things arise so you both hear from the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust and you both connect on this particular project AD perhaps you can start us off by telling us how this particular Derwent Connections project came about and what the premise is behind it yeah so the the very wide-ranging idea of the project is basically that in Derbyshire, we're sort of in the middle of two tree planting schemes, two large-scale tree planting schemes, essentially. So there's the National Forest, which goes across Leicestershire, Staffordshire and parts of South Derbyshire. And then right in the north of the county, there's also the new Northern Forest Initiative, which is the large forest scheme that the government are wanting to implement between the sort of east and west coast and the north of the county and Derbyshire sits right in between those two initiatives and the idea of the project is essentially to increase woodland cover between those two big forests so in doing so that will allow better connectivity between those in terms of habitats it will allow species as climate change becomes sort of more and more of a of a problem it'll mean that species will find it easier to move up north and north south between these different like patches of habitats and then basically the river derwent runs in a big valley all the way through the middle of the county so it, it in terms of that that catchment that river catchment makes up the vast majority of Derbyshire so it's a way of encompassing quite a lot of Derbyshire and increasing woodland cover between those between those two sort of tree planting schemes basically. Okay that's that's a really good outline um, you mentioned there the connectivity perhaps George can you pick up on that point why is it important to connect these forests together? Connecting these forests together is, re- is a really important outcome of the project because at the moment the woodland and the habitats sit within little pockets so there's not much connectivity between them so connecting these woodlands and the forests up creates this uh, corridor for species and, and nature to move through from one area to another so instead of them just existing in in, in sort of isolation it, it provides this route for them to move and this is really important that as well because when with climate change and when and when temperatures are rising species wanting to move from south to north it gives them a route through rather than just being trapped within these areas so yeah that's right it's really important connecting these woodlands up so what you're saying is the ecosystem is more likely to thrive if they if they can make this movement between different areas is that what you're saying yeah yeah exactly so instead of them just being sort of existing in isolation and then if something happens to that patch of woodland that habitat gone it gives them somewhere to to move so it, it really helps them to to spread to spread more through the through the Derwent Valley and, and move between the areas of woodland and forest. Okay. George, you can tell me about the time frame in terms of the, the project that you hope to get off the ground. Because I know it's about funding, isn't it? Is there an, an end point to the project? Yeah, so this year of funding ends in March 2023. But the whole point of this this year is to set out mechanisms and, and and help towards our 2050 vision so although this funding ends this year it's putting in place toolkits and, and ways we can work with people and ways we can help landowners community groups to achieve our 2050 vision of this corridor through from 
the national forest to the to the northern forest. So although this is quite a, sh- a one year project that, that I'm working on in particular, it actually helps to set out and achieve a 2050 vision. So it should last 30 years, the impacts um, and onwards after that. Okay, so obviously it's an ongoing project and like all of these these particular areas that in environmental crises that they're, they're going to require lots of different inputs and they all interact so it's all quite complicated what is it that you hope to achieve in this short-term frame within communities so within community groups in particular it's, it's setting them up to 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 do woodland creation and natural flood management by themselves in their own communities so although we're at the moment we're going in and providing guidance and support on the ground, say if they've got a tree planting project going on or they're looking to, to build natural flood processes, we'll initially be there to help that this year. So we'd, we'd help on events, with education, with training. But then the idea is, is that once we've had this input, they can then carry on those works separate of us. So sort of help the longevity of the, of the project a little bit then. So it's, it's sort of not making them reliant on us, like we're there to help this year, but we want them to be able to do these things within their own communities into the future. Okay, that makes sense. And how do communities know that they can use you as a resource in this short-term period? So we've been doing a lot of actually contacting community groups. So we've been going out, searching out groups to, to, to work with us in, that, in our areas that we, that we want to focus on. We've also been putting out lots of social media posts, there's web pages. So they can always get in contact on contact with us through through those ways. On our website, we've got a specific doing connections page, which then has a community group section, which they can get in touch with us through there if they're interested in working with us. But we go to a lot of events and, and quite a lot of people come up and talk to us. So we've been doing a lot of uh, not a lot of networking events, so community focused. So that's been a really useful way to get in touch with us. Um, we're also working with a lot of parish councils and, and hopefully more in the future who have also been pointing us towards groups in their area. But if they do, if anyone else wants to get in touch with us, they can just get in touch through the website or email in Derbyshire Wildlife Trust. Okay. And that'll get passed to me. <laughs> Excellent. And Aidy, where do you sit within the project? So my role specifically is I'm working on the woodland creation aspect of it. So there's kind of this there's kind of three main parts of it. The first is the community engagement stuff that George was just talking about. And then there's the woodland creation, which is a part that I'm working on. And then something called natural flood management, which is something that perhaps I guess we'll talk about a little bit later. But I am basically involved in going out and speaking to landowners that are interested in planting woodland and being part of the project, talking to them about means of getting funding to plant trees and how to look after trees and try and think about the best places within their land to put trees. So it's not just about putting trees wherever, it's about putting them in a place that makes sense so that it's connecting with connecting up existing woodlands, existing habitats, so that it's contributing to reducing flooding. And then also giving them sort of more specialised, I suppose, ecological advice on species and things like that, to make sure that we're getting woodlands that have the the most benefit for native, for our native biodiversity. So we're making sure that we've got native species in the right parts of Derbyshire. And when you when you say landowners, are you talking about uh, people that have agricultural land or just people that own uh, private land? What sort of land owners are you involved with? So it's, it's actually quite a mix, to be honest with you. We, it depends on how they come to us. So what we found is we've had a few different ways of trying to get in touch with people. So we've run Facebook ads, we've run, we've gone to agricultural shows. Some of them are just 
people that other people in the trust have been speaking to and have said and have mentioned something in passing and at that point they've been passed on to us so I've worked with farmers I've worked with people that have got just a tiny like small holding or a small field that just happens to be in a next to a river some in some places so it, it really does vary quite a lot obviously in terms of our objectives the, the bigger the better but we're certainly not turning people away we're interested in speaking to anyone that is interested in getting involved really and how receptive are landowners to changing their land and perhaps making it more biodiverse by planting trees or growing particular areas in different ways so they're not resistant to the idea of it it's more a case of making it pay so especially when we're talking in the context of farmers so you end up talking to people and obviously they're they're kind of running the land as a, as a business really and they get given government grants and subsidies for managing land in a certain way and the vast majority of the time the people that we've spoken to so far anyway they're, they're really interested and they really want to do their bit for nature and they really want to get involved in this sort of stuff but they're balancing that against the realities of running a business and making money and putting food on the table so at the moment one of the one of the barriers that we're kind of coming up against is the fact that the incentives for planting woodland are not always there and where they are there they're kind of in their infancy so there's um for example there's there's a, there's a scheme called the woodland carbon code where effectively it's, it can be quite complicated but the basic principle of it is that people get paid money for planting trees which then take carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere and obviously that's a something that mitigates the effects of climate change so the idea being that you would get a set amount of money per unit of carbon dioxide that you draw out of the air now that's a really good idea in principle but it's kind of because it's quite a new concept people are a little bit reluctant to jump into it without being able to calculate the costs long term and then they're also balancing off against because of brexit we've come out of the european union which means that the systems of subsidies that farmers receive for their land is changing as well so there's a, a bit we're in transitional phase still with that where people are still receiving sort of funding from from there and that's going on over the next five years so people are kind of in a bit of limbo and trying to work out what works best for them so in in amongst all of that i'm basically going in and trying to convince them that the best thing that they can do is plant woodland or at least integrate woodland and manage their land slightly differently that, I mean, that's so interesting because it's quite a complex picture as all these things are, but the fact that, I mean, obviously there's a, a, that economic financial structure that it's that it needs to be sustainable. And it's so interesting that you mentioned there that um, there could be payment for this effectively carbon dioxide drawdown, but it's not, it sounds like it's not easy to calculate and to be dependent on if you're if it's only does it only occur that does the payment only occur once the trees are at a particular stage how does that or is it a bit of an unknown quantity it's, it's, I'm, I'm not an expert in no. it, but i believe what happens is that basically they they have this scheme has people that independently come out and verify it so mm. they'll come out um, every set number of years they'll look at the woodland they'll say okay it's growing in the way that we expect it to be growing or it's not growing in the way that we expect it to be going and then they'll calculate the amount of carbon dioxide that it's taken out of the atmosphere on that basis and then calculate the amount of money that um, landowners can sell their carbon credits on that basis so probably should have explained that actually is that basically so 
they get these accredited carbon credits and then they can sell those to, for example, big businesses that are looking to offset their carbon emissions. So an obvious example would probably be airlines, I would have thought, where they're looking to reduce their carbon footprint by contributing to, to woodland planting schemes or that sort of thing. So they're, they're buying these carbon credits as a means of reducing their overall carbon emissions or offsetting their carbon emissions is probably better because they're not actually reducing them. They're just mitigating the effect of them. Yeah, no, I, I completely understand what you're trying to say there. That's That sounds like a very interesting ongoing prospect for progress, but it's the surety, I guess, that people, when, they've, when they're owning land and they're making money from the land, uh, require. And it's, as you say, it's all a little bit up in the air. So you've got this land, um, land use sort of sector, you've got the community, and then you also mentioned the flooding. Aisy, perhaps you can tell me a little bit about how the flooding aspect fits in with this project. So it's, it's, it's a concept called natural flood management. And the idea of that is that it's looking at nature-based solutions to reducing flood. So obviously, traditionally, you would have looked at, in terms of flood management, you'd have looked at putting in hard defences and having engineering solutions. So you'd have flood defence walls, you'd have dredging of channels, you'd um, if you're trying to use land for agriculture and you want to drain it because it's really damp, they would put in like drains to try and get the water off the land as fast as possible. But all that has had the effects that what happens is when we get really heavy periods of rainfall, the rain falls on the land, it goes straight into these drains and it all rushes down into the main river channel, which eventually is the Derwent, and then it flows down south through the county and out into the River Trent. But it does it really, really fast. So when we have really high periods of rainfall for example like we've had earlier this week all of the water hits the land at once all rushes into the river all at once and then the the gap between when that peak rainfall is and when the river levels are at their highest is really really small so the way that we're using we want to use natural flood management to combat this is basically it's it's a it's a little bit jargony but the idea is that you're decoupling these events so when we have really heavy rainfall what you're trying to do is increase the amount of time that it takes from the rain to fall on the land and the rain to get into the river and then having it rather than just all rushing through the landscape trickling through and then rain from different parts of the counties all reaching the river at different times so the so it doesn't all hit at once and it doesn't all come up really high at once it's sort of like rises and falls in a bit more of a manageable way so how woodlands contributes to that is that basically um, a few different ways. So tree roots increase the sort of the filtration ability of the soil, if that's the right term. So it, it basically means that the water can get into the soil more easily because it's not as compacted. If the rain falls onto leaves of woodlands rather than hitting the ground and rushing into the rivers, it literally stays on the leaves and then evaporates off. Trees obviously through their roots rely on water, so they take water up out of the soil and then through something called transpiration, they basically that goes back out into the atmosphere just through as a natural process of, of, of tree life cycles and then other 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 ways that we want to it's not just about woodland creation on this project we also have things called leaky wooden dams that were that we're really keen on putting in so these are small scale interventions where essentially you're trying to mimic where in nature a tree or debris would fall into a watercourse and then the water would hit that and trickle through rather than be able to get through so 
quickly and it's all about this concept called slow the flow and it's just all part of trying to slow the water from getting from the top of the land to the bottom of the land as fast as possible which obviously was previously kind of the thinking was get the water off the land so that we can farm it but now we're thinking we need to have a bit more of an integrated approach where we try and accept that some areas are going to be wet and work with that and use that as a way as a means of managing flooding and alleviating it in certain places it's, it's so curious that we're having to manage flooding in a way that we've got to try and mimic nature i'm wondering whether that is because our ecosystems aren't where they should be and they can't do the job for us or is it the fact that because of our climate climate change aspects where we are getting dry spells and heavy downpours which is the more contributing factor to find to, to why we need to intervene and make sort of man-made dams is that a is that a question you perhaps you can answer or is that beyond the scope of of the project i, I can give it a go um i think <laughs> as, as with all these things it's it's a combination of both really so Obviously, we're seeing really prolonged dry periods and then right immediately afterwards, really, really heavy rain. So because the land is so baked, all of the water just runs off immediately. And you, you, we're not having we're having more unpredictable weather. So the, the, the fact that it's harder to predict um, has an impact, obviously. And then also. As a society over the past a few thousand years since we've been here, we've changed the land in so many ways to sort of build a society and feed ourselves and all these different things. I guess there's not always been an appreciation that natural processes have value. So if you think of it, I just to use, I'm just going to, I'm going to um, have a go at the Victorians because it's just, it's just the trendy thing to do. But go so if you think about Victorian engineering, they, they're, they're, they almost felt like they were kind of masters of the natural world and it was theirs to bend to their will. But I think the, the thinking now is that we need to be a lot more holistic in our approach and we need to work with natural processes. And it doesn't mean just like rewilding the whole country. It just means trying to integrate it and trying to make space for nature rather than just forcing it to exist in the places that are inconvenient for us for, to do anything else with, really. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sort of clarifying that. George, so how does this fit, um, this whole leaky dam business? <laughs> um, that's sounded a bit more strange than I intended. intended. Um, how does that fit with your community work? Is that something that uh, community organisations can get involved in? Yeah, 100%. So there's only so many Derbyshire Wildlife Trust staff and, and so many places that we've got actual, uh, that we're actually looking after. So what the hope is, is that, with community groups in areas where we, we have landowners or reserves and things like that who are who are open to, to having woodland and, and and other natural flood management processes put in so like the leaky dams or or contour dams on, on hillsides and stuff like that we they actually come in and, and help do that work in their local community so they will see the benefit they get to be involved in the processes and they learn how to do it as well so it's not just us coming in telling them to put logs somewhere they learn how to do it so in the future if they have somewhere else in their community they can then go and do that themselves but it's also working with like parish councils as well so we're, we're developing par a parish council toolkit on how to do natural flood management and woodland creation within within their set within their area so that includes lots of things from land use to talking to land local landowners and everything like that so it actually will hopefully broaden this broaden the impact that that this has so instead of it 
just been focusing on on places where we go and talk to people and, and do things actually parish councils can take it up on themselves with their local community and community groups that may exist in their area to actually do these do these processes so particularly in places that are really impacted and flooding is a massive issue along the day when then the, it sort of empowers these communities and parish councils to to actually help improve the area themselves and our parish councils are they very much aware of where their sort of flood points are do they know where the problems lie what yeah so it depends it depends on on on, on which parish councils you talk to so the ones that we've spoken to at the moment they are very aware of where the issues lie because they are, they are from that community they see the impact year on year they see the cost of the damage that comes through with the more frequent flooding so they are very aware of where the problems lie and they're very keen to be involved in in helping solve those issues as well so yeah they're they're very aware of what the problems are and that's why they're such a good resource as well because they know who to talk to um, they know where the most impact would be they've got the drive to help as well and they also know the local community so some of the community groups that we've found haven't been on any sort of lists on sort of the, the cvs websites we've been put in touch with them through through the parish councils so that they, they say oh you need to talk to this person and that's been a really great resource especially for for my side of it so yeah they're, they're very aware of where the issues are and how to start to help with them that's 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 really good to hear uh, I, I mean the theme through all of our conversation so far is the interconnectedness of the problems, but also the, the networking, the getting the different parts of the community community on board. And although it's fairly in its infancy, this whole project, are, are you feeling some momentum? And is there anywhere that you've seen so far the fruits of having put some of this information down? Is it is, is the work being done? And can you see the success of that already in any places? Uh, Adi, perhaps do you want to just come in on that first? So we, there's not work on the ground being done yet because we're still in the stage of talking to people drawing up plans for where we want to put the woodland and doing applications for grants for funding basically for the trees for all the different things that are required to to get this stuff planted basically but I think in terms of momentum we've definitely seen an increase in people that are interested it's definitely that there are there are a lot of people people are already thinking about this it's not just us going out and just saying this is what everyone should do when you speak to people they're like I mean kind of like what George was saying with the parish councils they're fully aware that there is a problem and they're just they're just kind of think trying to think of ways to address it and the great thing about this project is, is it addresses loads of different things it addresses flooding it addresses climate change biodiversity gets communities engaged it you, you're trying to work with local people to find solutions to problems in their area rather than having a really top-down approach so I think momentum's still building but as George was saying before it's the idea is that hopefully we're trying to have a legacy to this project where it won't just be us doing grant applications just for a year and then it stops we want to kickstart a different way of thinking and a, a process that continues like long after the sort of initial phase of it has has concluded. George, are you getting the same feeling of this sort of momentum building? Um, yeah, definitely. So in the initial stages, we've done a lot of work on the educational side of it. 
so working with community groups on educating their communities on stuff like that but now we're starting to get like I say that momentum building and groups actually wanting to create new woodland on their on plots of land they own things like that so it is definitely growing we've been quite fortunate actually on this side because we've worked with a couple of groups who have actually had land themselves ready to go so we've done little bits of woodland creation we've done little bits of other stuff here and there and as we move back into the tree planting season we've got a few more coming up as well but that's just because these groups have have had places in mind already um, they just needed that extra bit of support to move forward into doing them but yeah the momentum is definitely building from from the start of this year to now um, the interest and the involvement and and the amount of people who are getting in touch has, has grown massively but it's also it's not just we've been talking about large landowners community groups as a whole but there's actually been a lot of momentum being gained through people doing individual steps so through through our, our team wilder and and sort of steps people can take at home there's been a, a toolkit created by that by that team as called 15 ways to reduce flooding at home and that has been amazingly well received by by people so all the educational and community events we've been going to we've been handing them out to schools we've been to to talk with and um, we've been giving them out to them and people have been talking to us and coming back to us saying they've, they've been taking steps out of it. So they've been planting their own veg. They've not been mowing their lawns. They've, they've been putting water butts in. Um, some people with bigger, with bigger areas have been looking at, at making their green roofs. So it's, it's this whole, the momentum on that side has been massive as well. So it's, it's not just these large, large projects that have been going, gaining momentum, but people are actually taking more individual steps as well. So that's been really good to see. That, that's an interesting point that you make, because um, it's very empowering if somebody as an individual can do something themselves and get, and it sounds like the, the sorts of things that you were talking about are, are reasonably accessible, not mowing your lawn, for, for instance. And then it also feeds into the bigger picture. I wonder whether if you get people as individuals engaged in doing things, whether they then join community groups and it sort of flourishes that way are you getting any sense of that uh, sort of interaction between the two yes it's, it's all about taking ownership isn't it i think so when people start to be involved in these things they feel more empowered to, to actually do more so we've been one of one of my one of my main outcomes is is linking people together so we give out these these toolkits we talk to people at events but we also highlight what other community groups are in their area so if they want to do more they want to be involved we say oh so you're you're within derby have you ever spoken or looked at this group or have you ever wanted to do more and and, and want to actually volunteer for us on, on on ways and things like that so yeah it's all about that getting people it's a good way to introduce them actually and then they take that next step but like you say it's, it's, it's so accessible that that 15 ways you can do it on any size area and the little actions all add up in the end if enough people do them so it's, it's been really good i think that's a really great message as well isn't it as, as an individual you can do something it does count it may you know if we, if we all do something it all counts uh, and if and if you if you're part of a community group great you're you're expanding it even more so i think that's a really good message the interconnectedness i really i really like that do you find on a personal level it's quite an exciting project to be involved in because it touches so many important environmental issues and you get to talk to so many different types of people. How, how rewarding is it for you both? Adi, do you want to start? 
Yeah, I, I really love it. I mean, it's basically just touches on all the things I really like, which is initially when I first started my career, I was just really interested in nature and working in a job that allowed me to work with nature. And then the more I sort of like got involved in it and read about it and thought about the issues, the more I was thinking that this is, this it needs to be a big interconnected joined up approach and it needs to be a change in the way that our society thinks about our, the way, the way that we manage our country really and then the other aspect of it is um going out and speaking to people where they are and actually like just standing there and listening to them talk about the issues that they face i I think it's really like crucially important because we live in quite a divided divisive age and i just think people don't really go out and listen anymore and as a wildlife trust i think what we really really want to do is engage with groups that maybe we wouldn't traditionally they they wouldn't traditionally feel like the wildlife trust was on their side say farmers like they you know they, sometimes people think oh we're just there to tell them what to do and we're not we're there to listen to what their problems are and try and find ways to work with them which i i'm really interested in and really passionate about is just like understanding people's issues and trying to work with them and trying to build bridges rather than uh, criticizing everything that people do i think it's much more productive and much more important so yeah from my perspective i find it really really interesting and really satisfying and get a lot of get a lot of uh, get a lot from it yeah excellent Th- thanks for that it's a really it's an interesting point that you make about working with farmers and the way you approach it and with them because we all want to move forward in a positive way rather than going oh no you shouldn't be doing it like that and i think that's it's 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 really valuable yeah. the way that you're coming at it yeah i think there, i think there has been like a i think they feel a bit i think sometimes they feel a bit got at because they feel like they're under attack from all sides and it's just it's just nice to turn up and be like no i'm not here to like have a go at you <laughs> i'm here to like do try and help and it's just nice to feel like you're trying to understand someone really yes yes if we could just... they're not they're not as scary as you think they are as well. <laughs> <laughs> and they are endeavoring to try to put food on our table so <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, we definitely. have to also remember that george what, what about from your perspective what's it been like working on the project yeah it's been it's been great in particular because I, I i i cover i work through the whole of the derwent catchment so moving moving through that area and seeing the amount of community groups and the amount of individuals who are, are sort of trying to make a change and a positive impact in their community has, has been amazing and, and sort of bringing those to the forefront and working with them and trying to connect these people up together has been, it's been, it's been really good. I've worked, and just seeing the diversity of groups out there as well and what they're trying to focus on. It's been a, it's been yeah, it's been it's been really good actually, and and seeing the positive impacts they're bringing to their to their local area, so from increasing tree coverage to 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 having more fruit trees accessible and things like that, it's it's been creating creating spaces for people to go to, so community gardens and everything like that, and and, and educating schools and school children on how they can make an impact. It's been it's been a really good experience just to move move through that catchment and see the level of impact and drive that people have had has been has been a really really awesome part of this of this role and actually then actually being able to come in and, and help support and move these projects on and, and help and help make a bigger impact on an overall scale it's been awesome especially with the parish councils as well talking to them 
and seeing like the drive and the shift that they want to do in their area to more sustainable and green um, and friendly spaces for their for their community as well. It's been it's been really rewarding to to be able to be a part of that. But yeah, well, it can only we're hoping it can only move forward like this as well. So yeah, and on that point, uh, to, to finish with a, a final thought about the future. What are your personal thoughts and feelings about because we you know we're talking about quite complicated environmental issues that that we that we're facing how do you feel about the future of wildlife going forward I feel quite positive about it more positive than I was at the start of this project because having seen the different pockets of of stuff that people are doing so it's already happening out there it's just about connecting them up and, and linking people to those to those areas so I, I think it is it, in my view uh, it is it is looking a bit more positive just because the amount of community groups that are out there and the great work they're doing and the drive that these individuals have to, to to positively impact the environment and their area I think it can only only get better but yeah that's my hope as well <laughs> AD, what's your thoughts and feelings on the future of wildlife? I think there's a lot of work still to be done, but I think it's definitely moving in the right direction. It's, I think the vast majority of people in this country now recognise that it's not really something we can do without, and it's not just a thing that's nice to have. It's a thing that is fundamentally very, very important to the way that the world works, and it provides a lot of good to us and we've, we've just had a we just had a pandemic where everyone was stuck indoors quite a lot and people realized the value of having access to nature and access to green spaces and when you're talking to people at councils and big organizations and then people on the ground every every different kind of person i've spoken to has recognized that there's a there's a need to change the way that we approach these things so that's i find that really encouraging right that's great I love that. Encouraging. That's what we need <laughs> to move forward. Thank you so much to both of you, George and Aidy, this morning for talking about the Derwent Connections project. It's it's a super project and it has so many wins and uh, it can involve so many people. So if there are other people out there wanting to get involved, definitely do get in touch with you both or the Derbyshire Wildlife Trust. Thanks again this morning. It's been wonderful. No problem. It's been great. Thanks, Thanks for having us on. Cheers. It was super interesting to hear about the Derwent Connections project with George and Aidy. It totally encompasses benefits to nature and places whilst strengthening communities. There seems to be so many positives, ensuring wildlife can travel in response to changes in climate, managing the increased risk of floods and connecting community groups. Collaborative effort has never been more valuable than it is now. And they highlighted the varied groups of people they are engaging with. We can all get involved in creating a new landscape, whether as an individual or within community groups. And organisations such as the Wildlife Trust are always keen to gain new volunteers. So see the links to a trust near you in the show notes. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music and to you for listening. Don't forget you can follow the podcast to get automatic access to each new episode. And it would be lovely if you could rate, review and share it too. It really helps. Until next time, bye for now.